This is Beirut's Brightside. Vous écoutez Beirut's Brightside. Entoma, Beirut's Brightside. You're listening to BBS Stories. I'm your host, Leila, and I recently came across an interesting article about a local ad man that decided to change careers and embark on a new challenge in line with his passion for sports. I was curious to know more about that shift and how, through sports, he strives to contribute positively to the Lebanese community at large. Sports is a way of life, it keeps people healthy, but it's also a way to bring people together, strengthen communities, and bridge gaps. At Beirut's Brightside, we believe in the power of sports, how we should all set higher objectives for ourselves, push our limits, reach a summit, whichever it may be, at home or abroad. For this episode of BBS Stories, we met Peter Mraade, mountaineer and founding member of Team Lebanon, former head of communication at Leo Burnett Beirut, and now CEO of the Beirut Marathon Association. In 2012, he co-founded Team Lebanon as they set on a mission to become the first all-Lebanese team to climb the famous seven summits. They have so far reached the top of five out of those seven while raising awareness and donations for the Lebanese Red Cross, an organization that holds a very special place in Peter's heart as he's witnessed firsthand the incredible work they do. I met with Peter on a busy weekday morning at the Beirut Marathon offices, a few weeks before the big day. The offices are buzzing with people. Preparations are going strong. Peter seems to thrive on it. This year's marathon will be his first as CEO, but Peter takes on the challenge with a smile and determined to give it everything he's got. This is how he lives his life, head-on, focused, and always aiming for the top. He believes we can all achieve extraordinary things. This is Beirut's Brightside. Vous écoutez Beirut's Brightside. Entoma, Beirut's Brightside. Okay, so I, I'm not exactly sure where to start. I'm going to start with what my function is today. I'm the CEO of the Beirut Marathon Association, uh, and that means that basically I'm in charge of um, setting up and organizing uh, everything that has to do with the operation uh, of the Beirut Marathon Association. Uh, and that goes into very, very different things from you know race management and organization Uh, into financial, uh, you know, overlooking the finances, uh, thinking about the sustainability of, of the organization on the long term. Uh, but also everything has to do with people's management. So training these people that have been here for the past 15 years, uh, building an institution that has today become an international institution, Uh, then we'll go into the details of what the marathon has achieved uh, over the past 15 years that we are celebrating this year. Uh, so managing these people and trying to help them transform into becoming uh, an international institution that it already is, but you know, elevating our standards uh, as a Lebanese institution that is going to uh, uphold uh, the, the values of running uh, in Lebanon Uh, around the world and uh, really invite people from around the world to come uh, visit Lebanon through the excuse of the marathon uh, to grow sports tourism in our beautiful country. Who was Peter Mahade growing up? Uh, just a regular uh, little boy. Uh, was not a uh, strong little boy. I was an average 
uh, more on the light, skinny side of, uh, of nature. Um, I think growing up, I had a lot of fears. Um, so my father passed away uh, just before I was born, and my mother was pregnant. Um, and uh, I, did, I never had a uh, father figure in my life that I would identify to and think, you know, uh, maybe I'll become uh, like that person. Or um, and and my mother played that role. She was uh, both my mom and my dad in a sense, and she really uh, nurtured me with uh, a lot of love, a lot of love. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, growing up, uh, I came from a uh, financially challenged background. Uh, but I never felt like I was coming from a financially challenged background. I only discovered that when I became a little bit older uh, because my mother basically put us, me and my sister, in the best schools in Lebanon and really invested a lot in, in our education. Uh, I never got a chance to thank her for that because uh, she passed away when I was 19. Uh, but it's only then that I realized that, uh, you know, uh, I had to break out of uh, the cocoon I had been living in and, uh, you know, uh, sort of realize the harsh environment that I was living in and uh, uh, try to, uh, you know, become, uh, be, become a responsible individual. Uh, it's around that period that I joined the Lebanese Red Cross um, as a volunteer because the Lebanese, well, you know, uh, my mother had a brain hemorrhage and then uh, she stayed in the coma for three weeks and then she passed away. Um, but what I discovered uh, during that same period is that when the Re Lebanese Red Cross came at our house to pick her up and go to the hospital uh, in an emergency, uh, her heart failed and she was clinically dead for a few uh, uh, for a few minutes, and then they were able to resuscitate her in the, in the ambulance uh, and take her to the emergencies. That day, I was not at home when this happened. I was at the beach. I was living a reckless teenager lifestyle, you know, a little bit like most of the teenagers usually do. Um, and the last conversation I had with her, I was being a brat, you know, uh, unfortunately, that's the last conversation we've had together. Um, but I'm telling you that because when I got the call uh, to go to the emergencies, I thought, you know, it's nothing. And then I got there and she was already in the coma. And then she stayed there in the coma for three weeks. Um, and when I think of the Lebanese Red Cross, I think that they gave me the biggest uh, gift there is in the world, which is life. They extended her life, uh, made it possible for me to spend three weeks with her. We did not converse, but I had a lot to say. Uh, and, and I think this was the biggest, biggest give, uh, gift that I was ever given in life. And so I felt a few months after she passed away, I felt that she, I had a role to play if I was able to ever give back this gift to anyone else around me, I think uh, it would be a huge accomplishment for me. Uh, and that's around that period that I joined the Lebanese Red Cross. And, uh, and then what I felt was going to help me overcome 
my depression and I felt like I was going to help people around, you know, and I was going to play an important role in community and it was the other way around, you know. I was, without even uh, realizing, I was going through a, uh, through a depression because this is when the, the news sunk in with me that my mother had passed away. And when I was actually doing something and what I was doing was, uh, m you know, mattered because in a lot of cases it was a question of life and death. This is only when I realized that my life had a, had a meaning, you know. Um, and so in a way the, the Red Cross again gave me the biggest life, uh, the, the, the biggest gift because they gave a new meaning to my life, you know being able to do something in my community and with people around me. In a lot of cases, it was not life and death. I just had to go visit some old people in their homes. I remember this lady who was uh, an amputee, and she, um, and she had uh, diabetes at the same time, so her wound kept reinfecting and reinfecting. And every day we would go and... Uh, well, basically, it's when we're cleaning her wound. Uh, we used to go there every day to clean her wound, and it was the same thing happening over and over again. And it was so frustrating to see that wound not stitching back. And eventually, after a few years, she passed away. Um, but in a way, for me, just doing that felt um, felt like I was my, you know, whatever I was doing had had a bigger meaning uh, than than who I was in the past. Um, yeah, so the, so the Red Cross was something that was huge in my life. And I invite everyone to um, at least learn the, the, the few tools of paramedics, uh, you know, the, the, those reflexes that we should all know whenever ha any, anything happens around us, an accident or even a small wound, uh, know how to fix it or know how to stabilize a situation. So this is why, as co-founder of Team Lebanon, it was an obvious choice for you to raise funds for the Lebanese Red Cross. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I wanted to, uh, you know, when I when I left the Red Cross, I went to Paris. This is where I did uh, most of my studies, uh, and when I returned back to Lebanon, uh, I started working. I thought I'd be I'd have time to work and uh, be a volunteer at the Lebanese Red Cross, but it was no longer the same. Back when I was younger, when I was at the Red Cross, I would go there every day, every day, every day. I became obsessed with the Red Cross. I'd finish university, take a shower, go to the Lebanese Red Cross, finish at 6 in the morning, take a shower at home, uh, put my clothes on, and then go back to university and, and on repeat. And I was really hooked to it. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't do that when I started working. So, in a way, I wanted to keep uh, giving back to this institution that I have the utmost respect for. Uh, maybe a lot of people think that the Red Cross uh, is uh, subsidized or helped out by the government and in international institutions. In reality, the em emergency medical services of the Red Cross, and I invite you to go and visit them sometimes, are mostly funded by the volunteers. So that means uh, you would have someone who's good at plumbing. He's going to do plumbing inside the, the, the Red Cross. Uh, someone who's good at fixing tires, who's going to fix the tires of the ambulances. Someone who's more of a mechanic that's going to fix you know, uh, something, a part that's been uh, damaged uh, uh, within the ambulance or, someone, or somewhere else. Uh, someone who's good at uh, raising funds, who's going to you know, work on a campaign to raise funds. Um, so 
in a way, it's really the volunteers who give from, uh, from their physical uh, capabilities, their intellectual capabilities, and a lot of the time from their own investments. Um, so I felt that I still needed to do something. And it's around 2011 that I decided with a bunch of my... Uh, climbing friends in Lebanon who were, are all amateur climbers like myself back then. We just like to go out in nature and hike uh, all around Lebanon. So we kind of really discovered our country through hiking and uh, climbing. And uh, I had this crazy dream of uh, going after the seven summits. That's the highest mountain on each of the seven continents. And when I said it around me... Um, the answer was, man, you're crazy. We're never going to be able to do that. Uh, one, we don't have the physical fitness. Two, we're not going to find the sponsors. Uh, three, we will never have the time to train and prepare and do everything that, uh, you know, that is required to go on these expeditions. Uh, and here we are today. It's 2017, so that's like six years later. Uh, we've climbed five of the seven summits. Uh, so five of the continents. What's left on our uh, map is Antarctica and Everest. How important is it uh, for you to promote a positive image of Lebanon? There's a sense of pride and a sense of belonging in what you do. Uh, when you get to the top of a mountain and you hold a Lebanese flag or as CEO of the Beirut Marathon Association, you're putting Lebanon on uh, the map. Is that something you think about? Uh, yes, I have a, a very, very strong uh, sense of pride. You know, um, when I when I was growing up, my objective was to leave Lebanon and uh, and never return. Uh, and and I worked super hard for that. You know, around my uh, my years in university, everything I did around that period was focused at leaving and never returning. Um, after my mother passed away, after the Lebanese Red Cross experience, um, it's around that period that I was accepted in the most prestigious schools of commerce in, in Paris, and, um, uh, and I did not want to go. I did not want to leave. Uh, but, you know, because it was, uh, it was an important, uh, you know, I mean, it, I, I, I owed it to my career to go and, and uh, study there. Uh, you know, I, for me, it was a sacrifice leaving behind the Lebanese Red Cross for that. Um, so I went, uh, and I can tell you, every single day of my life in Paris, I was dreaming of coming back to Lebanon and what I was I would be doing in Lebanon. Uh, and when I returned to Lebanon. Uh, I was still very ambitious in my professional career, so I was aiming for those big multinationals. Uh, so I started working with Booz Allen, uh, who is today uh, Strategy and um, as, as a consultant, uh, and quickly discovered that as a consultant, most of your life is uh, focused around uh, other countries than Lebanon because you're, you're actually on a plane traveling to Jordan, to KSA, to Dubai, to so many different destinations, and you rarely spend more than a day in Lebanon. Um, and I realized that in a way um, I had been learning a lot through this life in consultancy, but, um, but it was taking me far away from, from Lebanon. Uh, and uh, that's around that period that I started working in, uh, so that I left consulting and I started working with, with uh, advertising with Impact BBDO, whom uh, I'm very, very fond of. I, uh, you know, I kept 
beautiful relationships around there with a lot of people. Uh, and, I, and I've grew, grown very, very fond of the communication and creative industry because, uh, I, you know, I just love the, the vibe. I love the fact that you were surrounded by crazy people and uh, being uh, more of, uh, you know, on the commercial front. So my role was account management. So I was in charge of leading the businesses of my clients. I uh, had the best of both worlds, you know, the rational world where I had to defend Uh, you know, marketing objectives, and then uh, the creative world, where I have to, you know, work and and, and explore uh, through creative brainstorms with uh, those brilliant creative minds and turn their ideas that are rooted in art into something that I could sell back to the clients. So, uh, yeah, I loved it. Uh, but in 2007, again, I was asked to move out of Lebanon because I was given a huge opportunity to set up the first offices of Impact BBDO in, uh, in, uh, in Algeria, so in the Maghreb region. So I went there and I spent the whole year in Algeria. So again, far away from Lebanon. Uh, beautiful experience. I learned so much through this experience because I was only 27 back then and I had to set up an office in a very, very challenging country. Uh, so I spent uh, six months doing that. And by the end of the six months, I had a team of uh, 15 people. Uh, and, and for me, it was a huge accomplishment. But I was also um, very much attached to Lebanon. I had a lot of things that were calling back for me. So I worked the six other months, you know, working on how will I come back to Lebanon, how will I return to Lebanon. Uh, and I did return, and uh, the, ever since I returned, one of the conditions I had uh, for my next employment was um, to stay in Lebanon, uh, to stay in Lebanon and to really act in a way that would make a difference in my country. I believe a lot of us uh, who have had the privilege and the chance to, to get out of the country, be exposed, learn so much... Um, and create relationships with, uh, with you know, with with with, with a lot of uh, foreigners. We have an important role and responsibility to bring back uh, this knowledge to Lebanon, this open mind to Lebanon, and those contacts that we have made uh, out of the country back to to the country, uh, so that we're able to take Lebanon um, um, to a much bigger place than where it is right now. Because I feel that the the love for our country has to be nourished. Uh, we tend to fo we all tend to focus, you know, on the bad. We forget that we have a beautiful country, beautiful outdoor scenery, yeah. diversity. Um, do you think it's all about education, educating the the younger generation? I mean, a few years back, you were one of the speakers at a TEDx talk in Beirut, and you talked about the shift from extraordinary dreams to realistic ambitions and what it takes to realize those dreams and what it takes to go beyond human obstacles. You share the lessons you've learned through your experiences. I was telling you earlier, I felt quite empowered by your talk. How important is it for you to share your experiences? Is it about helping others achieve their goals? I'm sure after that talk, you must have had very interesting feedback and you probably met quite a few people uh, after your TEDx talk in Beirut. Uh, yeah, I had uh, beautiful feedback after the talk. Um, and uh, honestly, I was quite overwhelmed with, the, with this feedback. I was not expecting it. I was um, I was asked to share my story um, 
Um, and I wanted my story to be a humble story, um, and I wanted it to be an empowering story because, really, um, you know, we've heard so many stories of champions. Uh, growing up, I used to look up to Michael Jordan uh, as one of my champions. Um, and I know that Michael Jordan worked so hard every single day. And uh, he was asked to stay on the bench. He was not selected on the team. He missed most of the most important shots that he took in his life. So I believe in, um, I believe in determination, struggle to, to achieve. I believe that um, even if you come from a modest background, even if you... You are not the strongest person out there. Uh, you can achieve extraordinary things. And that's the lesson that I wanted to convey to the people uh, at, uh, at, TED Talk, at the TED Talk. Uh, TED was one of the most difficult experiences in my life uh, because you, 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 need to, you need to give uh, a speech that has to be... Uh, very, very personal, so a lot of the times it gets quite emotional when you need to go back to those memories and share them with a, with a larger audience. And then you, you present it to a jury, and then uh, you have a very harsh uh, professional jury in front of you that bashes you and tells you that your talk is boring as shit, uh, and you need to rework it and, and rework it, and you keep reworking it until, uh, well, you know, you, 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 you give something that is acceptable. Um, and uh, I think I must have bored uh, my wife, who back then was my my fiance, because uh, she could, I'm I'm sure that she memorized the the, the speech because you have to repeat and repeat and repeat it. Uh, my speech was long; it was it was like uh, 15 minutes or so. Um, and um, I guess repetition gets you there. Uh, and I'm not someone who has a great memory, so I have to repeat a lot uh, the same information until I'm able to, you know, express it in front of a, of, of a big audience. Uh, so at times I hated what I was doing, and uh, and until you know the, the the day where I gave the the talk, I was still hating the whole experience. When I finished giving the talk, I felt I was one with uh, with the audience. Um, and, and I was really overwhelmed with, with, the, with the feedback. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful experience, quite challenging. Uh, I love sharing what I've done so far with, with the people around me uh, because I believe that, uh, you know, I've been inspired by a few people growing up uh, and inspiration is what gets you there. Uh, inspiration and then believing in yourself, believing in your dreams, however crazy they are, that you can accomplish them. Because as you grow up, and that was one of the main things I said in my talk, as you grow up, people start telling you what you cannot do uh, realistically, you know, and they, you know, kind of narrow down your options and they become realistic ambitions instead of being extraordinary. No, believe in the extraordinary, fight for the extraordinary, accept nothing but the extraordinary. The, I guess this is my message. So we know mountaineering is about, you know, physical fitness, but it's, would you say, mostly about mental toughness and how do you prepare yourself for that? Is there any way to prepare yourself to meet those challenges? Or do you think that mental toughness comes naturally to some okay um so i have both my legs both my arms and i have a body that is uh, in acceptable physical fitness 
But I'm going to go to another extreme. I'll tell you, you have double amputees and blind uh, people uh, who have climbed Everest. You have a guy who's 85 years old who have climbed Everest. And these are some of the toughest mountains on the planet. Um, you know, at about 8,000 meters, basically what your body is doing is literally dying. Your, your cells are no longer regenerating themselves. So to be able to accomplish these feats when you are so challenged in life, that means there must be something greater that is uh, fueling your body uh, or fueling what's left of your body. Uh, and this is the mind. Um, so, yes, the mind has... Uh, pivotal, central role to play, not in physical accomplishments only, but in everything you do in your life. If you believe it in your mind, you will accomplish it. But you need to believe it, want it, fight every day, every minute in order to accomplish it. I have a friend of mine um, who gave me once one of the best talks when I was uh, younger, um, adolescent, uh, when I was a teenager at, at school. I used to love basketball and I wanted to become a player in the, in the NBA. So I would, you know, play uh, uh, and I broke my legs a few times and I would go with my cast and play. And he was, he had the same uh, um, kind of mindset and we'd be there, we both had cast and we'd play together. Uh, his name is Shafi Al Khazan, and he's today uh, the founder and owner of Sky Management. So, you know, our, our career have uh, drifted apart a, quite, a little bit, but still, uh, he said something. Uh, he said, um, he used to tease me. He'd say, the maximum you'll ever do is clean the benches at the NBA. And I'd say, uh, no, Shafi, you'll see I'll become an NBA player. And he said, well, if you want to become an NBA player, you should be practicing eight hours a day, every day. So do you really want it that hard that you're going to be practicing eight hours a day, every day? And it's around that period that I stopped playing basketball because I realized that I was not willing to commit eight hours of my time every day to become an NBA player. So I guess the, the main point over here is how hard do you want it? How hard do you want it? And if you want it that hard... Are you willing to sacrifice to get there? Uh, yeah. So I've wanted pretty hard the mountains that I've climbed so far. Uh, and I've worked pretty hard to train myself, but also prepare the logistics, uh, prepare the campaigns, uh, get a website running, get a charity functioning, uh, talking with the, you know, administrative offices of uh, the media, the Lebanese Red Cross, the officials, uh, to convince them of our project, um, and then pitching it to every single uh, company there is in Lebanon in order to get significant funds for us to go and travel around the globe and, and, and climb these mountains. So, of course, we tend to talk about how uh, we benefit from sports most immediately as individuals, how it improves our general well-being, but it also plays a major role in strengthening communities. Let's just talk for a few minutes about the positive impact of sports on our society. How does a sport become a tool for uh, social change from your perspective, from your experience? I personally think the marathon is a great example of a sport building bridges between people. I'm always amazed every year to see that many people from different age groups, of course, but mostly from different backgrounds get together, come together for this one special event. And then I think, I wish they would come together in peace more often. Uh, sports, uh, no doubt, 
I'm not only no doubt, I'm convinced that sport plays a pivotal role in social cohesion. Uh, if you want to bring people together, you will never do it better than through sports. Uh, because sports, um, and especially endurance running, um, there's a lot of hardship that goes into it. And when you experience hardship together, uh, you become more bound uh, as individuals. Uh, the marathon is an outstanding institution, and today I say that, uh, and I'm no longer, I'm not sure that I'm still objective when I'm saying it because now I'm part of the marathon. I am the marathon as well myself. Uh, but the reason why I joined the marathon is because I admired this uh, institution from afar for so many years, and I've admired the dream of Mrs. Mayel Khalil, the, the, the founder and president of the Beirut Marathon. Uh, you know, her dream stemmed from her personal challenge. Um, she was training for a marathon in Dubai, uh, and she got rammed by a bus while she was training in the streets of Beirut. Uh, actually, it was in, uh, in June. She was uh, practicing on a long run, and there on a bus... Uh, rammed her from behind and squashed her on uh, uh, on the sideway um, and she was uh, left on uh, barely conscious uh, then she entered the coma uh, then she stayed in the hospital for about two years and a half three years and she underwent 36 operations uh, as she woke up from her coma the first thing she said was, or the doctor said was, you will never be able to run a, a marathon in your life, uh, nor, or even jog, uh, or even walk. Um, and she said, if I will never be able to do this, uh, I want other people to, to run. Uh, and uh, we are in 2001, 2002, so we are in a uh, country that is still very much divided. Uh, and maybe today Lebanon is still quite divided, but I want to believe that it has become more united. So she had a dream. She wanted people to run. She wanted to organize the first marathon. And as soon as she got out of the hospital, uh, she went on a roadshow uh, and she, on a, on a bus, she, she, she stepped on a bus with a few friends around her who believed in her crazy dream and started visiting one village after the other, all of Lebanon, recruiting runners. And uh, when she got the authorization to organize the first marathon in 2003, they said, well, if you'll be able to manage to get 100 or 200 people in the streets of Beirut, we'll be really impressed by, by your feet. Um, in 2003, on the second Sunday of November, as it is the custom, uh, we managed, or Mrs. Mayel Khalil managed to get 6,000 people to run in the streets of Beirut. Uh, and it's been growing ever since. In 2016, we've had 47,000 people running in the streets of Beirut. Um, to give you a frame of reference, the London Marathon hosts... Uh, has a ceiling of 43,000 runners. The Beijing Marathon in China has a ceiling of 30,000 runners. Um, so it gives you an idea of the scale of this event. It's not the biggest event of Lebanon. This is the biggest event of the region, of the MENA region. Um, it's outstanding to be there on Marathon Day 
and witness the diversity of Lebanon come together running in the same direction on that same day. You will have all 18 confessions, all genders, all socioeconomic classes, all ages running side by side with the same smile of and the same determination uh, and and I think you know last year May invited me to to attend I was, she was still in talks with me and I was working with my former agency Leo Burnett who is my second family and I had no intention of leaving Leo Burnett and she said I just want you to come on that one day experience it through my eyes through the eyes of someone who's watching not through the eyes of a runner I went there and when they kicked it off, I couldn't help the tears running down my cheeks. I just couldn't help it. Uh, because I believe I have a similar dream for, for Lebanon, uh, a dream of unity, of peace, of cohesion, of building the, the, the country that we want for the future. Uh, and that can only happen if we are united, if we, if we have... Uh, united vision for, for the country. And I believe the next generation in Lebanon, uh, which uh, today I belong to, and the next one, the ones after, we want to create a better, country, a better country. And we want to step out of the tribal thinking of, uh, or in the tribal and the sectarian thinking of, uh, you know, uh, keeping ourselves in the status quo. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, for your humbleness, and good luck for what is your first uh, marathon as CEO of the Beirut Marathon Association. And I know the offices are buzzing and it's, you know, preparations are going strong. So thank you for taking the time this morning. Thank you. Uh, well, I, if you get the chance to listen to this before uh, Marathon Day, I invite you all to, to take part, uh, to register before the 25th of October. I'm putting on my commercial hat right now. But you need to do it. Uh, you need to be part of this event one way or another. Uh, running is going to transform you. Being active in your life is going to transform you. And I invite you uh, to be more active in your life, to step out of your comfort zone. Comfort is your biggest enemy in life. Always look for situations that will challenge you because it's only through those situations that you will come out a stronger a better human being, uh, closer to happiness. This is Beirut's Brightside. Vous écoutez Beirut's Brightside. Entoma, Beirut's Brightside.